As you find your seats this morning, uh, we have already been blessed in a lot of ways just hearing from missionaries and the music, and we're just, I'm glad that you've joined us. You've come on a very special day today. Um, as I introduce our, our speaker for today, we're going to ask our missionary, John Lyles, will be uh, bringing us the word this morning. Just tell you a little bit about John. Some of you may recognize this face if you've been around Calvary a while. John was actually here, we, we found out about 12 years ago. Uh, they, they originally went to Italy and were missionaries there. They, and he'll probably, he could probably tell you more of the story, obviously, but they had to come off the field for some health reasons for a little bit, and now they're going back, and so they're uh, raising their support again. And so it's, uh, uh, but he has, God has continued to do work there uh, even while they're in the States. So I appreciate their heart and what God's going to do, and we're looking forward to uh, seeing what God will do through this church. Um, also, the name is very, uh, this is kind of special to me in a sense. I, um, his father was a professor of mine at Baptist Bible College and uh, gave me just a, a very wonderful perspective on missions. And his father is currently still a missionary. And they are currently in, last I heard last night, they're in Beirut, Lebanon. They, they have ministry to the Muslims in around the world, but in that part of the country is kind of where their heart is and for that part of the world. So um, just comes from a, 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 he and his wife both from families that truly love the Lord and, and to follow him wherever they that he leads, and so it's a privilege to have them. So if you would, welcome, please, Brother John Lyles, Missionary to Italy. Good morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, if you have a Bible or a phone or an app or something. I'm usually the phone guy, so it's fine. I understand. Matthew 9, we're going to be at the end of the chapter. Uh, it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. I really sense a spirit of great fellowship here and of unity, and um, I've really enjoyed spending time with your pastor and his wife and their staff and family, and uh, apple pie, woo, that was good. Was, uh, it is great to be here with you today. Rebecca and I have been married now almost 21 years, and we have three kids, Kent, Ethan, and Natalie. Kent is 18, uh, Ethan is 17, and Natalie's 14, and we were in Italy uh, as missionaries for 10 years and have been back now for a little while like Pastor said, with some medical issues, and I will share a little bit more about that here in a minute. Um, and uh, we're very excited to go back. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of a gut check. We're going to talk about prayer this morning, because I don't know if there's much more important to talk about when it comes to missions all over the world than prayer. And so let's go ahead and read our text together, and we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, it's good to know that even you had to pray and that you ask us to seek you when we have need. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would draw us close to your heart, that you would draw us into a spirit of prayer, and that we would find in you everything we're looking for, and that we would find in you our purpose and calling and how we can fulfill that in our world today. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you to pray this morning, and one of the ways I want to encourage you to pray is by telling you just some of the stories of answered prayer of our ministry, and then we're going to get back into the text. 
Um, Becky and I have been praying now for years that God would send forth more laborers to the country of Italy. Uh, we knew upon visiting Italy, upon going to Italy originally as missionaries, 60 million people in Italy. And of those 60 million people right now, um, 70, I think latest statistics are 76% of those claim some type of religious affiliation. And of those 76% that claim religious affiliation, only 15% of those go to church weekly. So in Rome, we have over 1,000 church buildings that sit mostly empty on Sunday mornings. And um, a little bit about my testimony, you know, I, was, I come from a great family. My grandpa Ralph was a man of God for 53 years. He was married to Ruth for 73 years and uh, got married really young. <laughs> I think they cheated. And... Uh, <laughs> I think, there, I think Grandma was 16. Anyway, uh, you know, he, he died about three years ago, and when he passed away, uh, the week he passed away, he had prepared two sermons, one for prison ministry and one for his Sunday school class. And that's just my Grandpa Lyles. If you were to, to have ever met him, he was the kind of guy that died with his boots on, you know what I mean? All the way up until the very end was serving the Lord with all of his heart. And that's my Grandma today. She's still alive. And... Uh, she just sits in her chair and prays all day long. And so I come from this kind of a rich heritage. My dad, Ken Lyles, was a missionary in Tehran, Iran, for 12 years before the revolution. Uh, I was born there, so that's on my passport. And, you know, obviously they look at the passport, they look at me, and they're like, I'm confused. You don't, <laughs> you don't look like you're from Tehran, you know. Uh, but I was born in Tehran, Iran, and so that's been a part of my history. My dad was a ninja missionary. I and mean, who, who goes to the Middle East back in the 60s and 70s? And, and of course, then when 79 happened and the revolution happened, my dad had to step away for a while. Um, people ask him, why didn't you go back? He said, well, we would have had an underground church. I would have been underground. <laughs> and uh, so now, like Pastor mentioned, he's working in Beirut, Lebanon. They're, they've seen over 30 church plants started in the last year among refugees. Uh, Syrian refugees fleeing from ISIS have gone up into Lebanon. A lot of them have, about 4 million, and uh, almost the same population of the country. And they're there in camps, and it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity right now. The Lord is opening door after. They're seeing miracles, the stuff we read about in the New Testament, the kind of miracles we, we kind of long for and wish that we could be a part of. They're happening today, and they're happening in the Middle East, and many are coming to the Lord. And so I come from this rich heritage, but I can remember the time in the day that I got saved I was a kid. I was about 14 years old. We were at a family camp in Colorado, Silver State. You go to Silver State Baptist Youth Camp? And I got in trouble. I was always in trouble. But this time it was bad. And I was expecting the worst. You know what I mean? So I sat down. I sat down with uh, my dad, and he was quiet. And I started kind of wanting the normal punishment. You know, like, let's get this thing over with. This is scary. What are you doing, Dad? And he just sat there for a while, and he finally looked me in the eye, and he had a tear running down his face. And he said, John, you're not a new creation. You go to church. You say all the right words to all the right people. You've got everybody fooled, don't you? But on the inside out, you're not a new creation. There's sin that's living in you. And if you have a choice, you'd rather sin than do good. And he hit me dead between the eyes. And I was in Awana as a kid. You guys ever heard of Awana? I had memorized all the scriptures. My dad walked me through the Romans road, and I quoted it. And he walked me through about three or four verses in John, and I quoted them. I knew the Bible by memory. I knew, I knew the Romans road. I knew the verses in John. I knew some uh, verses in Acts. I had memorized as a kid. 
But that, that night, my dad confronted me with scripture, and I realized for the first time in my life that you can grow up in a religious home, in a religious system, and go to church all of your life and die and go to hell. And that night, God woke me up. The Holy Spirit shook me awake and said, you're not saved. What about you? That night I confessed my sin and I've never felt such joy in my life than to be free, to finally be the same person in private that I was in public and to, be, and to begin to reconcile those two for the rest of my life as I walk with Christ. My calling into, to missions came at 16 years old. I was, uh, I was in a service in Kansas and there was this guy up preaching and he, you know, he was kind of a dry speaker, but he had a, a throat problem. <clears throat> So about every 30 seconds in his sermon, <clears throat> he would do that. And I had ADHD, but I could not pay attention to the guy. You know what I mean? It was like the Lord knew exactly what I needed. I don't think he was doing our purpose. I, th I think he really had the problem. He wore bolo ties. Maybe that was a part of the problem. Um, how many of you know what a bolo tie is? Okay. All right. I see a few hands. Um, the Lord got a hold of him that night and said, what about you? So I surrendered to be a missionary. A missionary came through invited me to go on a trip to Bogota, Colombia. As a 16-year-old kid, I had a passport before I had a driver's license. And I, I used to have hair. And it was blonde and curly, and I've got blue eyes. And I can remember going to Bogota for the first time, and all the girls were kissing me. <laughs> and I thought, I surrender all. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm in, Lord. I'm all in. You got me. I'm here. All these beautiful girls walking up kissing me. And I, I thought, man, I... Who, no one told me if, if I knew missions was going to be this. Well, I find out later, you know, it's, it's the greeting there. And there, I found out later also there was nothing in those kisses, okay? There was no intention at all um, in those kisses. But God began to work in my heart as I saw a real missionary family living on the field. I spent a month with them at 16 years old, and God began to confirm this call in my life. And ever since that day, I've walked almost full force in this direction. There have been times of reprieve like the last two years where we've had to come back. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is, is in prayer, Jesus, as, as he looks out the cities and villages, he's teaching and he's preaching in verse 35, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. And this is where I would have to disagree with Jesus. Because when I see multitudes of people, poor masses of lost and lonely people, I, I want to run in the opposite direction. But Jesus was moved with compassion on them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we began to pray for laborers to come to Italy. And the Lord has allowed us to, to bring into the country three couples at this point. One couple didn't last but seven months, but now they're missionaries in another country. Two couples are still there. One has started a church and one is getting ready to start a church. And I've opened my heart up to the Lord and said, Lord, I want to help those who want to start churches in Italy, however I can, whatever that looks like. If that's a full-blown internship, day in and day out, you know, wrestling with each other, I'll do it. If that just means getting them some paperwork and helping them, giving them some advice, whatever I need to do, Lord. And so we've been equipping ourselves to help people come to Italy as missionaries now for the, all these years. And um, we have several contacts and resources in that. But we began to pray. And I can remember after prayer, it was just simple prayers. 
Lord, would you send us people to come work in Italy? Lord, would you send out Italians that we work with to go into ministry? And I won't say anything publicly about what our goal is, but we're praying that God does some amazing things in Italy over the next 20, 30 years. I can remember as we began to pray in Italy, we started realizing that, you know, you go to another country and you don't know the language, and I've never felt so stupid in all my life. <laughs> I was talking with the kids. You, you, you want to wear this sign, I have a college degree, you know, um, because you just go around making mistake after mistake after mistake, and people just treat you like a little child sometimes. And, of course, then there are the times they say things about you, and they don't realize you understand them. <laughs> Let's just say I don't wear Speedos anymore. Uh, no, <laughs> just, that's a joke. I never did. <clears throat> They don't make them in my size. But um, I remember we began to pray for God to, to work in our lives. And I can remember uh, just very early on, you know, prayer is important. And uh, we, we prayed for more workers. Then we started praying for paperwork. And we had to drive from Springfield, Missouri to Chicago. And we did it four times. And every time we'd go the first three times, this guy with this cigar at a window would tell us, nope, you need this, you need this. You need. Basically, we would drive eight hours to get a five-minute no and drive home. And the fourth time, before we went up, I had a pastor call me and say, hey, John, when are you guys going to switch fields? And I said, man, if God was leading me to another country, I would go in a heartbeat. My, you got to know my heart is there, but he hasn't let go of this in my heart yet. Well, Becky and I go up this fourth time to Chicago, and we prayed all night. We prayed all night in the hotel room. We prayed the next morning. I can remember sitting on uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago, right in front of the building we were getting ready to walk into. It was one of those big intimidating buildings. The guy with the cigar is intimidating, you know. And uh, I can remember sitting there. It was like the sun was shining all of a sudden. And I said, Becky, it's done. What do you mean it's done? I, I don't know how I can tell you this or why I can tell you this, but God has answered our prayer. Today we're getting our paperwork. And she said, yeah, my wife's the pessimist. I'm the optimist, you know. She just kind of rolled her eyes like, here we go again, you know. <laughs> And uh, so we, we go up to the front. Well, this girl interrupts our 15-minute time slot. And she's talking to the guy. And I'm like, we have 15 minutes. Now, I don't want to be rude because then the guy is going to be rude to me. But I also don't want to let this girl take up our time slot. So I finally walk up kind of right behind her just to let her know I'm there. You know? And I, I overhear her conversation. She's from Iran. And she talks a few minutes with him. He talks a few minutes with her. And then she walks away. He, he asks us to come up. I hand him my paperwork, the first piece of paper on our application is my birth certificate. This guy that three different times has not said a word to me, hasn't even taken the cigar out of his mouth, <laughs> drops the cigar and says, you're from Iran? Well, I was born there, yeah. Really? How did that happen? So we started talking about that story. And within five minutes, the, the rubber stamp was flying. Chicago, I had missionaries in Italy tell me, don't go through Chicago and don't go through Detroit. You will get a no. In fact, you should move to Texas or Florida for six months, dead serious, get a license in those states and apply at those consulates because you'll never get a yes from Chicago or Detroit. And that morning we walked out of there with our paperwork. And I'm telling you, it's not because we're smart people and it's not because we had everything figured out, but God heard our prayer and he opened a great door of opportunity. We have religious workers visas in Italy. We are there to do the work of the Lord. We're there to start churches. Our first year struggles, uh, <laughs> the first year we moved to Italy, finally moved and got onto Italian soil was 2008, and that was the year the uh, euro went to its all-time high. And also that year, 
uh, the, the network we were with at the time changed the tax structure that we were paying. And so within three months of signing all of our contracts and buying our cars and spending all the, the nest egg we'd taken with us, within three months of that, we found ourselves in Italy $1,100 a month down in spending. And I can remember thinking, okay, Lord, I know you opened this door. And I know you brought us here, but what is this? I look back now at those times, and the Lord was saying, you know, John, all you need is me. And now looking back over a decade of his faithfulness in Italy, I can tell you, God's provided by his grace because we prayed. I can remember the first time we got Kent's diagnosis um, he, our, our oldest son, Kent, has Asperger's syndrome. And so he's trying to learn another language and another culture in Italy, and he can't. He's, he's really, he's having what we call a meltdown. He'd come home from school and have a meltdown. And uh, I can remember one day in particular, he came home and was just undone. And Becky and I just looked at each other and said, Lord, we can't homeschool. It's illegal to homeschool in Europe. Okay? We can't homeschool. We don't have any options here. We have to have this system. Lord, would you would you provide? We're done. We're at the end of ourselves. Would you come through, Lord? We depend on you. We, have no, we don't have any smart answers. We don't have any strength left. Would you answer our prayer? And Becky and I prayed that prayer, and we got up, and we just didn't know what in the world would happen. And that afternoon, I got a phone call. Mr. Lyles, your son was diagnosed with Asperger's. Uh, he's been on our list for about a year. We'd like to do a study with him. I'm like, what kind of study? Well, it's three times a week therapy. And of course, I'm a dad, so my first question is, how much? And how much am I going to have to drive, right? And so, uh, how much is it going to cost? Well, this is because it's a study, because we're learning, at the, this is all free. I said, well, <laughs> where are you? Because you can drive an hour and a half across Rome. It's a city of four and a half million people. Because, you know, we don't want to do that three times a week. And they said, well, actually, the reason we're calling you is we're right here in your town. We're two minutes from your address. Rome's number one psychological center for head trauma and other issues as well as disorders like Asperger's syndrome and all that, they're two minutes from our house. Would you be willing to do this? For a year and a half, our son Kent received some of the best medical therapy in Italy by God's grace because he provided, because we went to him and we asked I can remember a team from Ohio coming. Actually, before that one, Ethan was really struggling in school, now our second son. And uh, he was really having a hard time with his teachers. The teachers there all grew up under nuns, okay? And, and, and the name of the game is guilt and shame. And they would literally tell us, when we scream at your son, he doesn't respond well. Like, what do you mean by scream, you know? And they would demonstrate that for us. And I'm like, oh, you would be fired in America if you did that, you know? And so we just started praying. There was one teacher in particular that just seemed to have Ethan pegged down and was really riding him hard. So my wife got down. He came home one day just undone. And my wife got down with him and said, Ethan, we need to pray. And she prayed with Ethan. And uh, Lord, would you deliver Ethan from this class? Would you deliver him from this teacher? Would you somehow work a miracle in the Italian bureaucracy and make Ethan okay? Would you help him to be okay with this? Whatever it is, Lord, help us to find your will today. Uh, the next day, Ethan went to school, and his teacher wasn't there. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So on Friday, we finally had to get the story. Ethan, what's going on? Where's your teacher? 
And, uh, well, apparently she fell and broke her leg. That's not what we prayed. Okay? And because they didn't have an elevator and their classroom was on the fourth floor, she was not able to complete the rest of the year. Be glad that you're not meeting my wife this week, okay? Because uh, you don't want to be on her bad side, you know what I mean? So I, I can remember, though, just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you rescue us? Would you help us? We're here, and we want to do your will. We want to follow you, but you help us. I can remember praying about the trip from Ohio. We had a team coming to do a uh, construction camp. And as they're getting on the plane, I just finished up with that phone call. I get another phone call. Hey, John, you know that team that's coming from Ohio to do the construction on the church down here? Yeah, yeah. We don't need them this week. What? Yeah, we don't need them. Thanks, though. We decided to hire out. Click. So I've got a team that have just spent, invested thousands of dollars on their way to Rome, Italy to come do construction work. And now I have no idea. So Becky and I dropped to our knees and we begin to pray, Lord, we don't know how in the world we're going to turn a bunch of construction workers into something else. But God, would you give us a way? Would you open a door, an avenue for us to do ministry this week with this team? Well, our friend Marina called, and she, uh, she uh, said, guys, there's a really nice gym here in town. The Italian, the, the Italian youth team, they're the European national champions. This is their gym. And I know the owner, and he's agreed. Would you like to use this gym? He said he would give it to you for free. All you have to do is be willing to coach in the fall. You can't make this stuff up. So now I've got to explain to this team that's coming to do a construction trip that we're going to be having a basketball camp. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Well, they show up, and I see one guy out of the 11 that gets off the plane that looks like he might have done some construction at some point in his life. The rest of them, they were just, it was just a team of just normal people just wanting to come and serve however they could. They had such wonderful hearts. And so I sat them down, and I began to explain the bad news to them. And this girl comes up and interrupts me and bursts out in tears. Ever since I signed up for this trip, I've been asking God to turn it into a sports camp. <laughs> I can give you her name and number two after the service. <laughs> Ever since. And, and you know what? I just know God's going to use us. And come to find out, many of them had been athletes in college. And we ended up having this awesome sports camp, had about 60 kids come through, word of mouth only, didn't advertise, which, by the way, that's what works in Italy. We plan six months ahead, and then we tell them the night before. Because <laughs> if you're on the calendar six months ahead, something better will come along, right? But <laughs> you've got to be a little sporadic. And I can remember praying about that, and the Lord answering those prayers, and just thinking, in those moments of weakness, in those moments when I thought everything was coming undone, God was starting to work. The last story I'll tell you about answered prayers, our son Kent, the one with Asperger's, we were on our first activity. We just rented a building up in our city. We had just started having a youth activities. And so we were at our first activity. We have a mountain about an hour and a half from our house. The beach is about an hour, and the mountains are about an hour and a half. And so we were going up to the mountains to go sledding on mountains. And uh, Kent came down the hill, and a little girl came just right out into his path, and so he tried to stop, and when he did, he, he, he snapped his femur. It was a twist snap right here. So we take him into Rome. They do a surgery on him. Two weeks later, we're, at the, uh, we're in Rome at the surgeon's uh, office, and he starts looking at the x-ray, and he says, what have you done? What do you mean, what have I done? What have you done? 
Sir, he's been in a wheelchair. What do you, it's the first time I can remember screaming in Italian. <laughs> what do you mean, what have I done, right? And uh, he says, this kid's leg is not healing well at all. It looks like he's fallen on it. I say, sir, he's been in a wheelchair. I don't know what you're talking about. So I, I get a copy of the x-ray. I send it to Springfield, Missouri, this little hospital in Springfield, Missouri. The surgeon calls me back from Springfield an hour later. says, John, something's not right. Well, obviously. He said, John, we were doing that surgery 40 years ago. And something's not healing right with this leg. We need you to come back as soon as possible. Sure, doc. I'll just pull that five grand out of my pocket. We'll be right there, you know. So Becky and I hit our knee and we're like, Lord, I was sick in my stomach. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. Lord, would you please provide? If you want us to go back home, would you play our plane tickets? And would you get us back? That's how we'll know it's of you, Lord. Would you do that? I get a phone call two hours later. John, we just bought your tickets. We need some information. Kent was on a surgery table Monday morning. They find out his leg, his feet had been like this for a week. The surgeon opens him up. He finds out that they had fused the femur on 90 degrees off. And he found MRSA on the bone. It could have killed him. If we would have left him like he was, he would have been damaged for the rest of his life or the MRSA would have taken over in his internal organs and killed him. God spared his life. And all of it, we just walk through prayer. Lord, we have stepped out in faith. Would you help us? Well, here's the real trick. The miracle after miracle after miracle, Kent is now well. And he runs long distance track at his school right now. He got last place, and we were all down there cheering like a bunch of idiots. They, <laughs> they thought, what is, do they know he just lost by half a lap, you know? Um, and, we, and we're just going nuts because we know what God has done in this kid's life. How do you get a, how do you get a 16-year-old kid that ex, has experienced the best of socialized medicine to go back to your country? That's where the real miracle started happening. And we began to pray for Kent's heart. Lord, would you... you turn his heart back to you. He was so mad at Italy, and so was I. And I didn't blame him. God, would you turn him back? And slowly we watched after the whole summer. It was actually about four months over the summer. Slowly we watched God start turning Kent's heart back. And Kent came to me one day in tears and said, Dad, my friends are dying and going to hell. When are we going back? Like, you can't produce that kind of stuff in your kid's heart. Only God can do that. Now, this kid has Asperger's, and he hardly can hold a conversation with you, but when he gets up to preach, watch out. The Spirit of God is powerful in that young man. He reads his Bible. Last year, he read his Bible three times all the way through. Kids with Asperger's are driven, you know. they they got to be driving constantly toward a goal. So right now, his goal is reading the Bible as many times as he can through in a year. And he has a walk with the Lord. He wants to honor the Lord with his life. Let me tell you, the Lord has done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Not because we're these amazing people who had it all right. In fact, let me just tell you here today, I stand with Paul. In my weakness, he is strong. When I don't have any answers, he has the answers. In his grace, we go back to Italy with hearts full of passion and love for the people God has called us to. Only God can do that. God can change our hearts. God can mend bodies. God can open doors. 
God, when we ask him, when we go to him, we stop fighting and trying to make everything happen on our own. And we humbly request that he step in and help us. He will. And so when Jesus says this in our passage, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. This is not an afterthought. He expects the request to be answered. In fact, what does he do? The next chapter, if you were to read the next chapter, you'd find that he sends out immediately the guys he does have. Well, Lord, you've given me 12. So I'm going to ordain them, and I'm going to send them out into ministry. And that next chapter is all about Jesus sending the disciples out in power and in strength to go and bear witness that the kingdom of God is here. He immediately takes action after praying his prayer. You know, sometimes we, we do it backwards, don't we? We, we? we wait for the obvious signs and the actions to show up, and then we begin to pray. Without faith, we can't please God. Sometimes nothing's happening. Sometimes nothing's changing, and that is the exact moment when God wants us to step out and say, Lord, Lord, I believe. I believe in you. I lay aside my strength, my will, my purpose, and Lord, I give you all of me. When we sing these songs about give, this is the only way it can happen. As a young missionary, let me tell you, a lot of us head out in our own strength with our own budgets and our own plans. But as you grow in ministry, you start to realize that if it weren't for Jesus Christ, his love, his purpose, his will, it would all fall apart. Prayer was important to Jesus. It was the reason he picked up the whip and beat people out of the church. Well, how do you end that? How did, how'd that moment end? You guys have made this place a den of thieves, but my father wills this house to be a house of prayer. Jesus went to the garden and prayed before his greatest trial. Paul, the apostles, prayed. You guys are picking up the story in early Acts. They prayed in the early church when they... Jesus is gone. What do we do? He's given us a mandate. What do we do? Paul's up on the, in Acts chapter 10, he's up on a housetop, and he's a little hungry, and he's waiting for lunch, and so he decides to pray, and what does God do? He reveals a in a trance to him, in a dream to him, his will, his desire to reach all nations, not just Israel. It's so easy in church to get caught up and all the extras that we forget this wasn't even our plan in the first place. If there is one thing I could ask you to do today, it would be this. Would you pray? Start off by doing this. Pick something in your own life. I want you to be a believer. I want you to trust that God can and will move according to his will and his purpose, according to his word that he's given us, he will move. Some of you, there's something in your life that has kept you from moving forward in your walk with him, and it's time to stop everything and begin to pray and to pray in earnest. And as those prayer muscles continue to develop in your life, would you do this? Would you pray for more laborers? 
Becky and I are in a country, Italy, 60 million people in a city of four and a half million, Rome. Just outside of Rome, we live in the Castelli Romani, which is uh, 180,000 people. We have three churches in it. My little town of Gordoferrata has a population of 25,000, double this town's population. I'm the only church planner in that town. There are 17 towns around me of our population or more that do not have a church plant. I'm sorry, two of them do. Two, so there are three of us in 17 cities just around me that are church plants. Can you imagine Springfield, Illinois having three churches that are all startups? Is Springfield, Illinois 180,000 people? Almost. When I start thinking about those numbers, when I start doing the math, this is crazy. This is impossible. But with God. But with God. I'm praying for nothing less than a revival of the Spirit of God on the country of Italy. We never had a reformation. France, Germany, Switzerland, England, parts of Spain all had revival at one point called the Reformation about 500 years ago. Italy never had it. Europe is the only continent in the world where Christianity is in decline. China is seeing revival. The Middle East is seeing revival. Africa has been now for decades seeing revival, but Europe... You know what we need? We need some tough kids who don't like no for an answer. Those ADHD Asperger kids who just don't know better but to keep moving forward no matter how much it hurts. To keep trusting in God. You know what we need in Italy? We need people to come who are willing to work their whole lives to see a church of 150 starting because that honors and lifts up the name of God. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you know the cries of our heart. I ask this morning that we would align our hearts with yours on this Mission Sunday and that just for a little moment of time that you would help us to remember the many millions of people that live without truth and that you would help us to begin to pray, God, that you would stir a revival of prayer in this church that would influence a generation to step forward in faith and follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.